Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Front End Nationwide, the athletic dedicated Blue Jackets podcast here in Portland with you on a Wednesday high noon in Central Ohio. The Blue Jackets a 6-3 loss last night to the Ottawa Senators. Step back, I would say, after the way that they started playing coming out of the break and it's still a loss, but a decent 4-2 loss to Tampa Bay. We started to see some structure. You started to see some consistency a little bit. Um, dog says hello. Um, yeah, so we can talk about that. Boone Jenner set a Blue Jackets uh, personal record, a career high, 26-42 last night in ice time. That's a regulation game, people. The fourth highest total in the history of the franchise. The most by a forward in a regulation game in more than 20 years for the Blue Jackets. Pretty incredible. Uh, Ray Whitney, you may remember him, some of you. Uh, he owns the top three ice times in regulation games for forwards. Incredible. Uh, but what an outing for Boone Jenner last night. Nine shots on goal, 16 shot attempts. Won 17 of 25 faceoffs. Blocked five shots. We wrote a story uh, published Tuesday about Boone Jenner and the trade deadline, how the Blue Jackets, uh, no one can say he's absolutely not going to be traded. Uh, he made it clear that he does not want to be traded. Yarmo Kekalainen has made it clear that uh, he would have to get an absolutely ridiculous return for Jenner. So I would put it on less than 50-50 at this point. Never say never. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. My feeling is you trade Boone Jenner in a year and a half, you're going to be looking for a, a guy similar to, you know, Boone Jenner. Um, that's what, a, that's what it feels like to me. I, to me, I let these, I let this current roster grow up around these, uh, this kind of player, uh, Boone uh, in particular. Uh, that's how I would handle it. And I think Boone is flexible enough that as these guys continue to develop and, mature and, and elevate, then he can he can slide to a to a lower part in the lineup, be that third line center or be that on the wing somewhere. Um so I would not trade him. But that's that's from that's me saying it. That's also me not looking at the potential return. I, I wouldn't trade him for a back half of the first round draft pick, which is what you'd be doing if you're trading him to a playoff team. Um if there is an unbelievable prospect out there that I am just completely giddy over, uh, then I think you have to consider it. But I would not, I would not uh, go lightly into that trade whatsoever. Um, I think this room desperately misses, has missed the Felinos, the Savards, uh, those kind of guys. Tough, tough to get over. Those voices not being in the dressing room. I think Boone Jenner's had to adjust to it as well. 
Uh, we can talk about that. We can talk about the trade deadline in general. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. You can join me via text. I see a bunch of there, a bunch of those popped in there already. You can step to the stage and I'll bring you in. We'll have a personal conversation. And let's get going here. We got uh, 45 minutes to an hour. We'll see where she goes. Blue Jackets next play Saturday in San Jose. So they are home now. This is not one big road trip. It looks like it on the schedule, but they came home from Ottawa last night off today. They will practice on Thursday and then uh, fly to San Jose. That is, I don't have to tell you, a winnable game. Winnable, not a for sure win. I didn't say that. Um, San Jose is at the bottom of the standings. They also play Anaheim on this trip, and they play a struggling Kings team on this trip. So, potential to have a little fun out in California after an ugly night in Canada's capital. My God, the penalty kill is brutal. Brutal. Like, it's the penalty kill, this is how I put it. Hope you're sitting down. The penalty kill is worse now than the power play has ever been. How about that? They've allowed nine power play goals in the last five games. That's absurd. Uh, let's get to the questions, comments. Again, step to the stage or text your message in if you wish. Ian M says, with the trade deadline approaching, do you think there is a trade market for Corrali and or Goodbranson? Is this something that CBJ would consider doing to have a change of voice slash leaders in the room? Um, well, I don't... I'll try to answer that. If you get the right offer for Corrali or Goodbranson, well, you, you for sure, you for sure have to listen. I don't like trading the few veterans on this team. And I think if you move those guys, you go into the summer needing to attract a, a veteran here. Um, I also don't think that Branson wants to move. I think he was rather excited about signing a four-year deal here. I don't think, I, I think, you know, it's, it's coming into focus here a little bit. I feel this has been rough on Sean Corrales because I think he came here to Columbus, his hometown thinking about how great it would be to win here. And so trading him kind of gives up on that dream. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can let emotions play too much into this. If you're Yarmo Kekalainen uh, and you get the right offer or a really good offer for either of those guys, yeah, you you just you have to, you have to have the long-term health of the club in mind. I don't think they're looking to trade either of those to change, as you say, the voice voices in the room. I don't think that's the case at all. I really don't. Um, Good Branson especially is a really, really a guy that people around the league really look up to. I think Corrales that way too. Uh, just a little more, maybe a little more quieter about it. Um, so I would not trade them just to change the voices in the room, but if you get the right offer, I think you absolutely have to consider it. Uh, William P says, does Ross Levick have any trade value greater than a bag of pucks? Uh, yes, he does. I think you get a mid to late round pick for him. And I think they will. I think they will. Uh, the question for me is like, there are lots of teams out there that are looking for a third line center. I, I think, I think Ross Levick earlier this season was better than he has been. Dog says hello again. Um, but 
I don't think any playoff team goes into uh, the playoffs thinking that Jack Roslovic is going to be their third-line center. That's not a realistic act of him. I think most playoff teams would view him as a winger, a middle six winger. There's speed there. Um, There is offensive skill there. I, I, it's very, it's wildly inconsistent, and it has been here again. Uh, the goal he scored last night, the first one he scored since he's come back from the ankle. I don't know how much that set him back, but he was zero two two in fourteen games since he came back before that goal last night. Um, so yeah, it's just to me, and this is nothing against Jack. I, I, I move him because I think. You're getting to the point now where he's getting squeezed out by some of your younger players who, frankly, have higher upside. And that's Chinikov, that's Marchenko, that's Kent Johnson, um, that's Voronkov, although he's a center now. Um, so, yes, I do think you could get anywhere from a, a third to a fifth round pick for Rostovic. Uh, way to go, Columbus, for supporting Line Ace Charity with the $10,000 gift. Need some good news after that stinker last night. Yeah, so I'm going to let that that number percolate. I know there's a, a few groups that have raised money for Patrick Line after the unfortunate incident earlier this week on a podcast. Um, that's, that's the right way to respond to something like this. Excuse me. And uh, we'll have something in the Sunday notes about how much money has raised. I'm not going in on any of the other stuff. I don't want to give any of that stuff oxygen that doesn't frankly deserve it. I will say this though. Um, I'm not one of those old, I'll let you be the judge. I don't think I'm one of those old curmudgeons that is uh, against anything new. I'm fine with social media. I've been on Twitter since God help me, 2009. I've been on the longer part of my career covering the Blue Jackets has been on Twitter, which is hard to believe. Um, but the idea of, of, of people just starting, um, it used to be that you would be trained, you would have some sort of editor, some sort of guide as to how to handle yourself publicly before a microphone was put in front of your face. And let's, be really clear there's some awesome podcasts out there and none of and they're not they're not strict uh media type podcasts so it does it can work but some of these guys just get in front of a microphone and don't realize the damage you can cause the harm you can cause um you just got to think about stuff right i mean holy smokes um but a good good response um look out there on on the uh, social media realms there's all sorts of places that are are raising money in fact andy scott the agent for patrick line i spoke with him yesterday about getting a statement or something if he wanted to speak about it and he responded with that statement um that includes a, a fundraiser in there for i believe it goes to the blue jackets foundation uh ed n says sorry i missed you last week in newark i have Never seen anyone that is sick as much as Elvis. Is it because he's not starting or does he need to make a trip to Ohio to find out what's wrong with him? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't want to. It's a fair question to ask of Elvis. Why do you think you're sick all the time? Next time I talk to him, I will. I don't want, I don't think it's fair to simply 
uh, sit here and guess about it. Um, I'm told he re- he was sick yesterday. This wasn't a this was not a hard feelings thing. Um, and Tarasov said this was the scheduled start. I do think the hook would have come under normal circumstances if Elvis were healthy. I think it would have come um, probably after the third goal, maybe after the fourth goal, and that would that was early in the second period. Uh, here's some news. It's not Blue Jackets news, but uh, Ohio State, this is according to the dispatch, has fired men's basketball coach Chris Holtman less than two years after signing him to a four-year extension. Uh, so some news from our fair city today. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not going to guess on Elvis, but it is it is a topic. Patrick D says, I've never heard of a player getting sick as much as Elvis. Do you know if the team doctors have given him any additional physicals? Is this a mental thing? Yeah, again, same question as that. Don't know. Uh, we'll try to get to the bottom of it. Um, Jonathan C says, I would never trade away the heart and soul of the team. Boone wants to be here, and we need that after the big exit that happened in 2019. Uh, Jenner says, uh, almost certainly, Jenner, uh, this is from Ben B, sorry. Jenner almost certainly should be traded. His value has never been higher. Agree that they'll be looking for another player like him later. But if we can get a top five pick or a top ten pick, plus a talented defensive prospect, they have to take it. Now, Ben, riddle me this. Why would a team that is at or near the bottom of the standings with the Blue Jackets? And to my knowledge, I don't think there's any team near the top of the standings that has somebody else's draft pick. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, tell me that team and you'll be right. But nobody that's completely out of the playoff spot is trading for Boone Jenner at the trade deadline. So that pick, by definition, is going to be beyond 16, maybe well beyond 16. That's my issue with it. I would be more interested in, especially this year, when people tell you that the draft really isn't that great. I get it's not a science, it's a guess, but that seems to be the consensus. This year, more than others, if I'm trading a player like Boone Jenner, I'm looking for a prospect that I've seen play either a year of college, and this is their first year pro, or a pretty highly regarded prospect from a very recent draft who's aged a little bit and now is a little bit more uh, secure in your scouting evaluation. So that's what I would say to that. Um, Johnny says, the KJ regressing, he certainly seems to not be improving or impressing, but what do I know? I thought he was okay last night early. I thought everybody sucked after like the first 10 minutes for most of the rest of the first period. He did have the assist on Voronkov's first goal. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of inconsistencies there. Uh, that 91-10-86 line, really, Marchenko hasn't been great of late either, I don't think. Um, I think the hope was that maybe the break would bring some life into a lot of these guys. And again, they looked pretty good against Tampa. I don't think that line looked great necessarily, but the Blue Jackets looked pretty good against Tampa. Um, 
last night was absolutely a step back for for a lot of people. I mean, woof. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a big Kent Johnson fan. I I've said that from the start. I think he's a point of game guy. Uh, when he reaches his peak in the not too distant future. Um. Gustav S is going to make me do some work here. I know that I know this is I know the answer to this, but I got to get the specifics. Gustav says, "Are the Blue Jackets the least successful franchise ever?" He goes on to say, "Maybe use playoff success question marks for the first twenty three years as a barometer." So there's yeah, you mentioned the barometer that you wish to use. That would that's going to take a little more time. Um, but the, this is becoming, this has be, been an issue, um, obviously for a while. Here's one way we can look at it. Thanks to our friends at NHL.com. This is the, uh, point percentage for franchises all time. The Blue Jackets are 33rd in a 32 team league. How is that possible? You say, well, the Montreal Maroons. Sliding above them at 509. Uh, of all of the teams currently still in the league, the Blue Jackets have the second worst. Yes, the second worst points percentage. The Arizona Coyotes are the only team worse than the Blue Jackets. And here we go. Arizona's played 3,449 games with a .475 points percentage. The Blue Jackets have played 1,784 games with a 485 points percentage. Now, if we want to do from when they joined the league, so for the Blue Jackets, that's 2000, 2001. If we want to look at this stat merely from the sense of how long the Blue Jackets have been in the league, uh, point, again, points percentage, because that's the only f- fair way to do it. You can't do points because uh, Vegas and Seattle are, have come along quite late in the game here. So that would be quite unfair. Since the Blue Jackets joined the league, they are the worst club um, by points percentage. Again, 485. Arizona, in this realm, slightly better than them. They've played one fewer game. And they have two fewer wins, but they've won more games in or lost more games in overtime. So Arizona 4.49 save percentage, Seattle 0.493, Buffalo 0.504, Edmonton 0.516. And I, I encourage you to realize the difference between points percentage and winning percentage. Since the NHL determines its standings by points, it does the percentage of points per game. So if you get a win, that's two points for per game. If you lose the next game in regulation, that's two points over two games. That's a point percentage of, uh, yes, of 1.00, so, or 0.500. So the Blue Jackets are at 0.485 through 1,784 games in their history. Um, so when you say they're the worst team ever, you're not gone. You're not wrong. Um, Matt C says Rosie is gone next year, right? Um, 
Metsy is referring to. We can assume we can assume Jack Roslovic. Uh, yeah, I my sense is it's not going to have to wait until um, next year. I think Line A is a really strong candidate. To, or sorry, Roslovic is a really strong candidate to move at the uh, trade deadline. His his uh, four four million dollar asking price is rather steep, but by that point of the season. He'll have, I would say, less than a million dollars left. Uh, some more news here. The Blue Jackets announcing at uh, 1220 that Johnny Gaudreau has announced his support for teammate Patrick Liney in the Central Ohio community by joining Liney's Give Back program for the 23-24 season. I'm not sure what this means. For every point, goal or po- point, that means goals and assists, Gaudreau scores through the rest of the season. He will donate $1,000 in support of men's mental health initiatives. At the close of the season, Gaudreau's point total from February 13 through April 16 will be added through the to line A's with the cumulative amount raised donated through the, the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation. Line A has announced his plan to give back to the community in October for the second consecutive season. He's missed 33 games due to injury this season and is currently in the NHL NHLPA Players Assistance Program. So a nice gesture there by Johnny Gaudreau. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jacob B says, what are your thoughts on the rumored stadium classic in the shoe next year? Uh, so here's what we can say at this point. I do. We've reported this, that Ohio State, the NHL, and the Blue Jackets are now and have been for a while all on the same page about what it would take to get this here. That is has always been the first step. That's really the only thing that really has kept it from happening here. Um, Ohio State could pay for that place to be winterized without even dipping into its finances. But anyway, um, I think it's going to happen. I think it would be announced by now if everything were settled. I don't think that's an issue. I just don't think everything is settled just yet. I've been told that it will be a winter. It will be a stadium series, not a winter classic. So a date later in the winter. I think that's one of the things Ohio state was really interested in is that this big event on its soil doesn't conflict with an Ohio state football game. Um, 
or even really with the Ohio State football season. So by doing it in the stadium series, is typically go later in the season, February or March. So that's the thing. We're waiting for details. We're waiting for some of the things, the final issues to be settled. But I think most people in the know in this community have thought for a while now that this is something that's going to happen. Josh P says, considering the lack of roster turnover since last trade deadline passed, do you think that there might be veterans they try to move a little bit more just to get some new leaders in the room to help with flipping the culture here? Well, Josh, I, I, I see where you're coming from, and that's certainly not a, a, a out-of-bounds question. Everything, when you're, when you're sort of, when you're as inconsistent as this team has been for a while now, everything is on the table to be questioned, and the leaders deserve it as well. Absolutely. But if you're making a trade at this trade deadline, look at how trades go. You're trading older guys for futures if you're out of the playoffs. And if you're in the playoffs, you're you're sometimes you're make a, a player for player trade, but most often if you're in the playoffs, you're adding veteran players and you're trading futures. So they're not going to trade you're not going to trade Boone Jenner for a veteran player at the trade deadline. Um, now, could you get could you get a 23 year old that's got some term left that, for whatever reason, doesn't fit on the team or is redundant in their lineup? I suppose you could, um, but that's not a veteran leader. And look look every summer at the veteran leaders that are out there, or more specifically, the ones that aren't out there. Those guys are really hard to find. They just don't move anymore. You know, when Mark Recchi got hired here as an assistant coach, I talked to him about this. He was one of those guys whose name always popped up at the trade deadline. Those guys that used to play well into their upper 30s and early 40s, most rarely into their 40s, but he was one of them. Um, and they were the guys that playoff-bound teams looked for. This league has gotten so young with the the money going to young players with um, the salary cap players turning over uh, big jobs to young players rather than waiting on the young players. Those veteran players, I'm talking like the 34 and above age group. There used to be, every team used to have a couple of those guys and they'd move at the trade deadline to teams that wanted that, that leadership going into the tough, the rough stuff. Those guys just aren't around much anymore. They're, if you look around the league, how many players are over the age of 34? It's, it's, it's a much smaller pool, and they're not guys on expiring contracts, just you know, year-by-year year UFA guys. So, yeah, I, that's what I would say. I think, again, if you trade Boone Jenner, I think you're looking for Boone Jenner uh, within the next couple of years. Uh, Ed B says, besides Roslovic, who's the most likely trade bait? Well, I I would not be surprised if Ivan Provorov moved. Um, they have got to do something on the back end to relieve that glut. Um, that's a way for them to clear up money for up front for some of the young players that they're going to need to start resigning here soon, guys who are RFAs. Don't get too excited. Don't worry about that because there's still RFAs, but you still got to pay them. This team is really high on Denton Matejchuk. Now, 
that's a big ask for him to step right in tomorrow uh, or end of this season next year and be NHL ready. But I think that's how it's going. And with the way that Severson has shown he can play on the left side, um, maybe that maybe that's a temporary option if Matejchuk's not ready for top four. But I think they think next year they could have both Yurichek and Matejchuk in their top four. Um, Yurichek, of course, still in Cleveland right now. Um, they won last night, big win over Grand Rapids. I could see Proveroff going. I could see Andrew Peak going. Um, I could see Justin Danforth going as a veteran player. He's kind of an under the radar guy, but he's an under the he's a valued guy here. Um, and I think teams around the league respect him as a as a bottom of the lineup, third or fourth line guy. His role here has really shrunk. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed. For a while, he was he was on that top line, which seems a little a little uh, rich. Now he's he's on the fourth line. I think he played like six minutes last night. Um, Jonathan Cease says, what are your thoughts on Johnny taking over line A's charity goal? Yeah, it's awesome. You agree. Jonathan Cease says, I think it's awesome, as do I. It's a nice touch, especially since, uh, as noted, line A's missed a lot of games and is, is there's no uh, clear date for his return. Um so yeah, good thoughts to Patrick Line. Hopefully he gets well soon. Uh Jesse J says, Porty, I know veterans and UFAs are being talked about as always. But have you heard any buzz about moving any of the youth? I don't want them to go. Just curious what you've heard. I would say that's very un, un uh unlikely. Very unlikely. I will say that as the I won't say this has been the easy part, because nothing about this has been easy. But the easy part of rebuilding is moving veterans for first-round picks and taking those first-round picks and stocking your prospect pool. You can do that with with relative ease. I'm not talking about the results on the ice because those suffer and that's not easy to go through. But just the flipping. We'll give you this veteran player. You give us a first-round pick. Now we've got a bright young prospect. Uh, for a couple years down the road. The really challenging part, I think for the Blue Jackets, the really challenging part here is going to be twofold. It's going to be keeping these guys in the fray, keeping them here. Uh, I'm not saying that based on anything I've I've heard, just, just on previous experience. <coughs> keeping this group together. Letting it grow, uh, fostering with them a sense of growing up together, making that as meaningful to them as it is to the team, uh, and fostering that. I think they've got a good thing right now. It's a really good sign to see Texier go on trip on the trip with the Russians. And I spoke to him of something about this in the Sunday gathering too. He knows what Chinikov felt when he first got here about being uh, lonely and perhaps homesick. He knows what Voronkov felt this season when he felt homesick. Um, he's been through some stuff. And I think they've talked about that. I think they have le- a Russian, three Russians and, a, and a, a French player have leaned on each other in that way. That's pretty cool. Um, 
I don't pretend to know where their hearts really lie if, if they want to be here for a long time and want to see it work here. I thought Boone Jenner was rather eloquent in his speaking to that the other day. He does not want to be traded. Um, but can they keep it together? The other part of this that's maybe even harder than that is recognizing what, what you have in these players, what you don't have in these players, and being willing to move one of them for some for another variable that your team is lacking. In other words, here, these are the tough questions. I don't think they're they don't need to confront these yet, but it does make sense. Uh, eventually, it could come to this in a couple of years. Kent Johnson and Johnny Gaudreau are they redundant? Do you need two playmaking left wings? What kind of centers do they need? Are, is too much of your playmaking on the wing? Are you too light? Johnson's six foot one, but he is wispy, as as you've noted. Jordan Dumay is on the way. Jordan Dumay is like, I think he's listed at five nine. Can you possibly have Dumay, Johnson, and Gaudreau on the same team? Now, how tough would it be for them to trade Gaudreau or Kent Johnson? Of course, it depends on what the return is. But those can be difficult trades to find. And sometimes they don't look good on paper right when you make them. I think back to the trade that the Blues made for Ryan O'Reilly. I'll have to look at what that was. And I remember thinking, my God, they gave up a lot to get Ryan O'Reilly. And then it won him a Stanley Cup because he was exactly what they needed. He hadn't peaked yet. He'd gone through some rough years. Some okay years, and then he was just an absolute monster um, when the Blues got a hold of him. Let me see what that trade was. Okay, traded from the Buffalo Sabres to the St. Louis Blues for Tage Thompson. Hey, pretty good trade. Patrick Berglund, Vladimir Sabotka, and a round one pick. I remember thinking that was an awful lot to give up for Ryan O'Reilly. I think they'd do it again. They got themselves a cup. Tate Thompson, obviously, obviously a big hit. But these are the kind of trades uh, that can be difficult at the time. And if you're St. Louis, you gave up on Tate Thompson. Do you care? I don't think you care now. But at the time, that's a tough, tough, tough trade to make, especially for a guy like like uh, O'Reilly, who had, I think, been seen at times as a bit of a disappointment. Now, he did have 24 goals, 61 points the season before. He went right up to 28, 49, 77 with St. Louis that year. Won the Cup. Huge in the playoffs. 8, 15, 23, and 26 games. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think this part is, is hard on the ice because you're getting your head beat in a lot of nights. But I think the off the ice thing to this point is fairly easy in terms of dumping vets, adding young players, letting them grow. The tough decisions are common. Jonathan B says, I continue to be puzzled, dismayed by Boone's usage. I get that he's a security blanket for the coaches and can play in every situation. But their over-reliance on him is blocking other players from development minutes and putting unnecessary wear and tear on him. 
What is it going to take for Paz to cut back his minutes to something more reasonable? He's averaging 19.30 a game this season. How can they spread some of Boone's workload over to players like Sillinger, Bronkov, and Fantilli when he gets back? Yeah, I I would agree with you, Jonathan. That's why my jaw hit the floor when I saw that he played almost 27 minutes last night. That is unbelievable for a forward. The the other thing, and, and you didn't say this directly, but it's implied, I believe. Boone has had two seasons end early because of back injuries. Every year they say they're going to dial it back. What did that game mean last night? What did that mean last night? Uh, a Tuesday in Ottawa when you're at the bottom of the standings in the Eastern Conference. I get it. You want to win every game. And that. And I asked Pascal Vincent coming out of the break, how do you handle things differently now the rest of the way? He said, no different. I'm trying to win every game. Okay. I still want to see Voronkov play more than he did. I think he played 11 minutes last night. 11.55. Sillinger played 14.23. I think Sillinger should be at 18. You'd like to see Voronkov around 15, 16 most nights. Um, Corrali got 10 minutes. Olivier played five and almost six minutes. Danforth played 5.45. Last on the team. Um, yeah. I, and you lost. Still lost. It, yeah. Not a big, not a big fan of that. I think it's amazing that Boone can play 27 minutes and play as well as he did. Again, career high, matching a career high nine shot on shots on goal, won 17 faceoffs, exactly half of the team's faceoffs. Um, incredible, but not good. Patrick D says prior to All Star break, a National Hockey Podcast, forget which one, literally said something along the lines of. I don't know how Yarmo still has a job, especially after the Babcock embarrassment. At this point, I think Yarmo has to have some sort of blackmail on McConnell. It's the only explanation for him still having a job. Do you think behind the scenes McConnell had told JD to retire at the end of the year and Yarmo will be let go? I saw the other day ownership would have final say on trade deadline moves like Jenner. Thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, that, that's not. I don't think it's an unusual thought right now for someone to say that that uh, who's ever in charge of the Blue Jackets should be in trouble. You've heard that a lot. I think it's only right to question where this is going. Will I be surprised if there are changes made after the season? I will not. Um, but I will say this, that it, it is hard to change GMs in the middle of the season. And I don't know this, truly don't. But one of the reasons you stick with somebody and don't hire his replacement is because, A, you think it would be too disruptive. B, you don't think there's any harm that can be done between now and the end of the season. You've given clear um, marching orders as to how you want the rest of the season to go. And quite possibly the person that you're looking for as the next GM is currently employed and is not free to leave the team. So the Blue Jackets have changed GMs uh, two times in their career. When Houston replaced McLean, it was in the summertime. When Yarmo replaced uh, Houston, it was in the middle of the season, but it was a strike-shortened season. It happened, I believe it was actually, it may have been February 14th. So this could be Yarmo Kekalainen's 11th 
anniversary on the job. Um, but that was a little different. Yarma was coming over from Europe and had an out. Um, Joseph M says, since we seem to be in tank mode, well, we are not in tank mode. Uh, the Blue Jackets uh, are losing, sure, but they are not trying to lose. Let's assume a ping pong ball, again from Joseph M. Semi-miracle happens and we get the number two pick. The ultimate miracle happened and we got the number one. I think the choice is obvious. Assuming number two, what do the Jackets do with it? Hockey News has Berkeley, Berkeley Catton Center, Caden Lidstrom, Zeev Bloom, and e- e- Ivan Dennison. At this point, do the Blue Jackets take one of these players, trade this pick for something, package the pick with one of our awful contracts for something substantial? Um, well, Joseph, I think they take the pick. And I think it would be really hard to pass on Caden Lindstrom. Imagine having a Fantilli-Lindstrom combination down the middle in a few years. It'd be pretty nice. Um, yeah, I don't see them moving that pick, especially if there's an, a new GM in the chair. Are you kidding me? Um, Eric S. says, seems like the team is in the same spot as last year around this time. Too many NHL bodies with young guys likely pushing for spots. Who do you think is no longer on the roster next fall among the most common names rumored to be available? Roslovic, Peak, Bean, Elvis, Line A. Um, I think Roslovic is gone. Not sure about Line A. That would not surprise me. First, of course, is him, him getting well. I think Peak uh, could well be moved. I get a, I'm not sure where the Elvis thing is going. Honestly, a buyout would be rough, guys. Six more years of that contract divided in, in into two-thirds and split over the remaining six, of course. Um, but that's a tough way to go. And, yeah, so I, I'm not sure, but I it feels like things are coming to a head with a bunch of the veteran players. Dog says hi. And I think there's going to be some changes. Um, and there will be especially changes if a new person takes over. Jonathan S. says, if this franchise were to win a cup within 10 years, well, who on the roster, current roster would be on that team? I think we all have some ideas about who those players might be. So my question is, why do we maintain the players in this organization that are not on that list instead of accelerating the talent in the pipeline that might be on that list? Are we just biding our time with these guys in the lineup? Well, Jonathan, 10 years is a very long time uh, and very hard to predict. I think there are some people, you, there are some guys you can say, first and foremost, Fantilli. I think it's possible that Sillinger's here. In 10 years, Boone's retired. Good Branson's retired. Um, so there's some guys who won't even be playing anymore. 10 years is a very long time. Five is a long time in today's NHL. Um, I think you could say Chinikov. At that point, Marchenko would be. Uh, an older gentleman. Um, Voronkov could still be around in 10 years, but how many players have, have played 10 years in Columbus? I mean, Boone has the all-time franchise record for games played, and this is his 11th year. Nash didn't make it 10 years. Um, so that's a long time, 10 years, uh, to project and to make you know brash moves based on where you think you're going to be in 10 years. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I, I, I don't mind this year 
Um, I think the pro- I think one of the problems they've had with this year is is selling it that they could make the playoffs this year. I think that was a really big mistake. I get it. I mean, the players have to believe that, certainly publicly. But I just think the way you answer that question is we're going to play our asses off and see where it takes us. You don't go from 59 points to the playoffs very often. That, to me, set the bar unnecessarily high. I still think they're getting a lot out of this year educationally, learning about these young players that they've put so much uh, first resources but now confidence in. They have to. That's how it works. Um, look how much we've learned on Sillinger this year. I, I, he's certainly not where he's going to be. He's not as good as he's going to be at his peak, but he is a much better player this year than he was last year. Still inconsistent, um, but he's he looks more like a two-way center. He looks to me like he could be a hell of a number three center and possibly even a number two. So that's really that's not a small thing. Igor Chinikov looks like a player, and he's inconsistent as hell. Hurt last night, so don't blame him. But he is incredibly inconsistent. But when he's on, you see a, a, a player there that you just did not see uh, the last year, year and a half. Um, he has really emerged. I think you're starting to, to learn. Fantilli's just getting started. And a lot of nights he looks like a really good player. But he's going to come a long way in a short amount of time. You're starting to – it's starting to come into focus what these guys are going to look like. And that is not uh, a small – a small thing. Ed B says, in, is Pascal Vincent the coach next season? Uh, I will say yes, Ed. Johnny, okay, we're going to go a little rapid fire here. We've got a few more to get to. Uh, any traction to Kevin Weeks' report about New Jersey looking at Elvis if they can't get Markstrom? I did not see that. Far be it for me to question anything uh, coming out of Weeksy. Uh, I like Weeksy. We've gone, we go back a number of years. He uh, certainly knows the goaltending market, certainly has a grip on what's going on in the New York metro area. Um, yeah, I'm not going to question that. I think the Blue Jackets uh, normally would not want to trade a goaltender within the division. I think that when they would, I think that that's a move. Depending upon the, the ramifications coming back, I think they would be absolutely willing to do that to get out from under that. Now, of course, they'll need a goalie. Um, if they do make that move. So it, it's not without some stress there. But uh, Mark Ellis says, several years ago, offer sheets were all the talk around the league. Is this still the case? If so, any risk of our RFAs being plucked from the team? Well, every summer, I think uh, some of us in the writing community love the idea of an offer sheet. Um, it's great drama. They just don't happen very often because the compensation is is really tough and teams just simply match. The Blue Jackets have a lot of RFAs this summer. Um, so, I mean, there's always a possibility. But and one thing that I think people often get wrong is it's not just the team that signs a player to the offer sheet. That player has to agree to it as well. So when they become a restricted free agent, that means they can negotiate with other teams. An unrestricted free agent means they can negotiate with anybody and sign with anybody. A restricted free agent means they can negotiate with anybody, but you have the right to match that offer and keep that player. And so unless you can find the right team with the right 
salary cap restrictions, the right roster limitations, and try to sign an outrageous contract that is impossible for the other team to match, it's almost a futile exercise because if anything else, you just get the players signed. Um, so I don't think it's any more a risk this summer than it has been, but it, it's always a risk, but a very small one because they just don't happen very often. Uh, Zachary H says, you ask what this game meant last night. It means head coach Pascal Vincent's future, doesn't it? This is the resume for the rest of his coaching career. He has to think about winning every game, even when it doesn't make sense, even at the expense of generous health and longevity, and most importantly, even at the expense of young players' development. Strong comment from Zachary H. there. Brett asks, us, what type of trade would it take for Jenner to be traded? Is Middlestat the player you would move Jenner for? Um, I think Middlestat is the starting point, and this is what I'm talking about. I mean, what does Middlestat give you that you don't think you already have with your current flock of young players? He's a heck of a talent, number nine overall in 2017. He His career high is 15 goals. His career high points is 59. He's a playmaker. Um, last season, he had 15, 44, 59 in 82 games. I think there are players on the Blue Jackets now who project to similar type um, development. So if I'm looking two years down, I'm, I'm intrigued by middle stats. 6'1", 200 pounds, good size. Um, but I'm I'm wanting something more from Buffalo. Where the hell is Buffalo in the standings this morning? Are they moving? They may move Middlestat for uh, because he is up this summer, and I'm not sure they know they can keep him. But are they trading him for for Boone Jenner? Um, Buffalo, yeah, just above Ottawa in the standings, they are. They're 50 points. They're 10 points out of the playoffs. They're not making the playoffs. So I, to me, that's a weird destination. I'm not sure why Buffalo would be adding a a veteran in his 30s. He is signed to term. Maybe they could use the leadership, but um, I think the Blue Jackets could do better than that. Hey, everybody, thanks for chiming in. Thanks for being part of the Front Nationwide podcast. Uh, we do appreciate it. We'll be back with you next week. And look forward to your questions and conversations then. And thanks so much. Talk to you soon.